Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friend, the show where we talk about issues and ideas using pop culture as the springboard. I'm your host, Joe, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. Hey, 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 hey. And Dan. Hi. And today we are joined by a special guest, Tom. Let's crack a lackin'. Today we're talking about Pacific Rim Uprising and the idea of guilty pleasure movies. So spoiler alert for Pacific Rim and Pacific Rim Uprising. Sit back, relax, or if you're driving, please sit upright and continue to drive vigilantly. So everybody, what did we all think about Pacific Rim 2 Uprising? I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. I was very upset by how much I enjoyed it. I love the first one to death, so the second one was the same for me. I am on the same boat. I was comparing it in my head to the first one, which I really, really enjoyed, and I was also surprised how much I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, surely the second one won't be as good. It wasn't. But I still really liked it. I a still lot. bought into like all of its cheese it laid out. It's like, ah, yeah. dang it, you're lucky I love this stuff. <laughs> you're lucky I love cheese. I'll oh, definitely yeah. say that Pacific Rim 2 had better one liners and like dialogue. Pacific Rim 1 was really rusty, like across the board whenever dialogue was involved. But then I got into it with the fights. Yeah. Pacific Rim 2, I was more invested in yeah. in between the fights. Jake, Bonnie, uh, John Boyega's. Uh, character like carries the the between scene dialogues. Yeah, they were. Uh, it Rusty's a good way to put the last movie. They um had some clunky expositions, things like that. Luckily, I wasn't too dependent on the dialogue in the first film. <laughs> I yeah. mean, the fight scenes really got me. That's that's honestly what I was watching it for. Yeah, that was why I was interested. I said, oh, giant robots fighting giant monsters, I'm on board. I definitely like, like, when I think of Pacific Rim 1, I think of, like, one fist and it needing rockets on its tricep yep. just to move forward. <laughs> I'm really into that. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's a masculinity thing, because I'm really manly. Rocket punches, no. <laughs> That's why I was, uh, I was really interested in um, Amara's... Jaeger in this one that was small enough that only one person yeah her Sonic the Hedgehog one yeah like, curled up the ball <laughs> was the Jaeger's name uh, Scrapper yes. Scrapper yeah Scrapper. also love Jaeger names <laughs> <laughs> um, Gypsy Danger from the last one Scrapper in this one Gypsy Avenger in Gypsy Uprising Avenger. as well they all sound like reject strings. And the other, yeah. the other ones had names too, because Amara's character once they get to the training academy after their whole uh, um, failed heist for Jaeger parts, and then their escape uh, in in Scrapper, and then Jake and Amara get taken to the the um, the academy for Jaeger pilots, and Jake is uh, it's always like, all right, you stop being a screw up and a. <laughs> Just in your bachelor pad and just trade in Oreos for parts for the rest of your life. Or was the other way around. He gave the parts for Oreos, which was a great trade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was literally doing it for fun. Like, it was very obvious that he wasn't trying to profit. He was just like, this is, I have a lot of abilities, but I don't want to be in the, in the academy. Mm -hmm. So this is what I'm going to do with my skill set and just live. I'd be willing to pay you. Those double stuffed. <laughs> Those double stuffed. Yeah, exactly. So I essentially just give him an ultimatum. It's like, okay, this is the last straw, Jake. It's like, either you're going to stay in the academy or it's it's jail time for realsies. So, of course, he picks the, the academy begrudgingly. Yeah, and that's when we run into the amazing Nate, who 
is the opposite of Jake and is always by the books and resents Jake for being a better cadet, but not playing by the rules, so not actually a better cadet. And he's played by Bon Joyega, which is crazy. <laughs> but no, Nate and everyone surrounding him in the Academy is always a constant reminder. It's like, ah, oh, you could have been something, Jake, if, like, you had, like, so much potential or whatnot and wasted potential. It's like, yeah, I get it. I was following in my father's footsteps, which, understandable, if you're in the shadow of Idris Elba... I, I don't think I can stand up to him either. <laughs> Imagine being Idris Elba's kid in real life. Like you go to pick up your prom date and Idris Elba answers the door. <laughs> yeah. Just like that's I, like that's always my dream though. In Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. <laughs> ah, the vulture opened the door. Oh gosh. Um, I would say that there were plenty of cliches and it was a very predictable movie, but it also had a few twists, and it broke a few cliches, which made the movie all around better. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of cliche breaks that I'm thinking of are the love interest aspect. Um, Jake has a sort of love interest, and they sort of skip over the fact that he's a rebel, and so she's turned off or put off, like, oh, you don't, like, you're arrogant, you're too arrogant. And then oh, but maybe I like you because you're also, like, skilled and stuff. Or I don't want to like you, though. They completely skipped over that. And, and then the girl she's was... also given off signals to Jake's rival mate Yeah, well. <laughs> and so that was a nice, like, twist on the cliche of it's sort of like a love story on the side, but it's more just, like, for entertainment purposes because when the two cadets go off to fight some um, kaijus, she kisses both of them on the cheek before they go, and they look at each other like... Wait, so which one of us... <laughs> That's really confusing. Yeah, let's just, well, no, let's just fight the monsters. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, both of the movies, Pacific Rim 1 and 2, do a good job of... Even though they do have plenty of cliches, they still kind of can break some of the tropes. Pacific Rim 1 had a similar breaking of the typical romantic connection where uh, at the end, the two main characters looked like they were going to kiss and then they just don't. I'm so happy they did. Yeah. I'm like, yes, And then. You. um Charlie Day, who we could talk about him now if we want, but um, typically scientists in movies are all very, like, stuffy, and, like, maybe they're eccentric, but, you know, they're pretty much like, oh, yeah, this guy's definitely smart. Charlie Day's scientist, even though he is clearly very smart, is, like, kind of all over the place, and he's more of, like, a fanboy. Yeah, I definitely like that, too. And he's sort of, he's got a, a real job in yeah. this film. Big old corporation with deadlines, and uh, he's definitely not in his element. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, your Mandarin sucks. Like, I'm, I'm, whatever. <laughs> the fact that I even had to be forced to learn Mandarin is probably a sign of it itself. <laughs> um, but it was still, like, predictable enough where when Scrappy doesn't get destroyed and is dropped off at the Academy within, like, the first ten minutes, we're like, oh, Scrappy's gonna be involved in Act 3, somehow. Mm-hmm. Like, it was very obvious, but I was okay with that. Yeah. I'm always happy with Charlie Day as an actor. I'll sometimes just see movies for him in itself. Vaughn, um, what did you feel on the inside when you found out that Charlie Day was the true villain? I was heartbroken. I still am. And I'm in disbelief. Oh, I'll, I will point out, though, that he was, like, possessed... Kind of thing. Yeah. So like Charlie it's Day wasn't the villain. Yeah, the kaiju that was yeah. in his mind was the, uh, the villain. The villains were the bad guys. <laughs> I, I like the idea that they kept 
him drifting with kaiju brains mm-hmm. <laughs> even after the first movie ended. It's so good. It's like a high he's trying to continuously yeah. reach because that option's no longer open to him. And like he comes after that long day of work after um, uh, Lee Man, the, uh, the, the lead CEO of the corporation that wants to introduce drones instead of pilots for Jaegers. After she's cracked down on Charlie, comes back to his bachelor pad or whatever. He's like, oh, it was a long day at work, honey. It's like, oh, I know you don't want to hear any of that. Let's just go to the bedroom and then surprise a big old kaiju brain. <laughs> They're floating in a tank. Oh, like, yeah, Charlie, you freaking weirdo. <laughs> Which was interesting to me because even when I saw that, I still didn't think Charlie Day's the villain. I just, yeah, I, I just, just oh, thought, oh, oh, I just yeah. thought, oh, that's kind of weird and uncomfortable, yeah. but. Okay, Charlie that's something, Day. That's something yeah. you do, Charlie. Classic you? Guillermo move. <laughs> Truth. I watched an interview with Charlie Day talking about his relationship with Guillermo. Mm-hmm. And while everybody was put through like extensive training because char- Charlie's character was very laid back and not fit <laughs> at all, he yeah. would just sit back with Guillermo and just eat like rare chocolates that they'd find. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, the dream. I heard a similar thing with um, Saving Private Ryan, where um, Matt Damon gets excluded from the other actors going through like a week long boot camp to like get in shape, but also it be like a miserable experience that they're supposed to bond over. And then the actors have a sort of underlying resentment of Matt Damon because he didn't have to go through that training. And that way it could be portrayed better within the movie. So just a, a yeah, it's a, just so like what I understand thing. is Matt Damon had a terrible time on set, <laughs> no. on an offset. What I understand is him. Matt Damon is far too likable that they need to create a boot camp scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the, the only way to get it. people to not like Matt Damon is to put everyone else in a boot camp and say it's his fault. <laughs> I, I just can't get them to respond correctly. I I guess I'll put them through boot camp, and, and Matt, you don't have to do it. <laughs> No, I want to do it with the rest of my team. No, Matt, you can't do it. <laughs> That's why they still like you. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I think some of us have already sort of mentioned this, but which did we prefer? Pacific Rim 1 or Pacific Rim 2? Uh, mm. I think the first. Yeah, I'd probably say the first. I feel like the second was borrowing a little bit too much to where I still had a good time watching it, but I think I would prefer to rewatch the first one over the second one just i really like the dialogue is really what keeps me enjoying the second one but it's it's so formulaic and predictable where it's like oh witty banter witty banter witty exchange whoa something serious has happened all right let's suit up and see what the problem is yeah but that's how i feel about every avengers movie and i still love each one of those (laughs) it's true it's just witty banter witty banter something intense um, I would definitely say I preferred Pacific Rim 2, and specifically because of the dialogue. But I will say that Pacific 1 had a better third act. Yes, oh my god, the third act of the second one is trash. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely. Even took I, a turn. I that is in love with this cheesy hot garbage, could not stomach the second the monster nanobots came out and the giant monsters started to fuse together. I sort of like, is, oh, is this how it's happening? And this is happening. See, I didn't like it, but I still enjoyed it. 
Uh, it definitely reminded me of Power Rangers and stuff like that. And I liked the idea of Stupid. Charlie Day's... I didn't find Zordon in this at all. <laughs> yeah. Don't blink or you'll miss him. But... I really liked the idea of Charlie Day's inventions of the nanobots actually helping the kaiju and like giving them more features. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, to me, fun that aliens were actually working together with this one human. It wasn't just him being under control, they still had all of Charlie Day's skills and intelligence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought, I think the, the fusing of, like, the technology with the kaiju was a, a good escalation from the first movie, where it was just like, okay, giant robots fighting giant monsters, now it's giant robots fighting giant monsters who have giant robot technology. Or giant robots with, because the drones all had that little kaiju organic material oh, yeah. running through their nervous system, which is how they're able to remotely control them, mm-hmm. which was super. And then the cadets, um, the little tiny cadet group that Amara gets thrown into, um, that's like, oh, why is this like this little street urchin with us when we've been seriously training for years or whatever. And they're like, they're like, Oh cool. Let's check out the giant drone gang. <laughs> and then one of them gets seriously burned and injured from the kaiju acid. I'm like, what do you think this is going to happen? <laughs> uh, someone pointed out in the movie gremlins at the very end, the last gremlin stripes pulls out a gun even though he's a monster and has teeth and claws. And so, and he's like, and the person said, why doesn't that happen more in monster movies? So that's sort of this, where the kaiju now just have robots. He's got a razor sharp teeth and claws and a gun. Like I've never seen anyone just try to shoot Voldemort in the face. Yeah. Except in Harry Potter puppet bells, which, and it worked. Yeah. So then maybe that is what we're missing. Yeah. One thing I definitely love about the first movie was just how, I guess, as much as I love the fight scenes, they looked very unrealistic, where, like, during the fight, I always imagined the Jaegers were moving so slowly. Like, as you mentioned before, they needed rockets just to move their fists up. So in real time, it would be the arm would move up, and then it would need a couple seconds for the rockets to get set up to do the punching, and I had no idea how they were able to win a fight. Oh, I'm a sucker. <laughs> when, when in every fight, every Jaeger was just lagging behind. Yeah, oh, I'm a sucker for robots with giant swords. In the first film, they only use the sword, the one part, yeah. when they're getting lifted up in the air or whatever, and then he like slashes off the flying creature. We, we get to see a lot more of the swords in this film and some sword-on-sword fighting between two Jaegers. Yeah, they, yes. they even forgot they had it, too. <laughs> yeah, right. That was the oh. Mako was like, I don't. I guess we're done. Like, Save I don't know what swords. to do anymore. <laughs> no, we still have the sword. <laughs> in the movie, like, the, movies like this are great at, like, just suspending my disbelief and, like, having me entrapped so I'm not thinking about, like, what's wrong with it. But in the theater, I was like, how did they not use this before? Because then... <laughs> From when they're in space and they pull out the sword, they use the sword for the rest of the movie because uh-huh. they're like, oh, it's unbeatable. <laughs> it's like, why, why would you wait until now? You weren't winning until right now. You were in danger the whole time. But And at the I, end of the again, first movie, too, I, they even used the sword like as a crutch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When one of their legs got deactivated and then they were just hobbling around with the sword yeah. underwater. <laughs> so good. Uh, The last thing I would say about Pacific Rim 2 is I sort of liked, I don't know how much, I like the idea of the societal conflict being that the Jaegers don't need pilots anymore. 
mm-hmm. and this idea of it'll be safer for people and then this other group of people saying but then the Jaegers could be out of control like someone could hack into it and stuff like that so there's a big danger in having pilotless Jaegers but it's also dangerous to have pilots in Jaegers yeah, for I, the pilots. Yeah, so like quicker response times was like the biggest problem or whatever. It's like it takes too long for Jaegers to respond to danger and to resolve it quickly. Mm-hmm. I think it's the logical next step, but it's also like self-driving cars. Is it really needed? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting idea to talk about like the societal implications of living in this universe. And, like, that is someone's job to be a Jaeger pilot. But I, I feel, like, weird about it. Yeah, I'm ne- and I'm never going to say don't produce a technology just because people lose jobs. Mm-hmm. Because that just means that society is shifting and those people need to develop new skills for whatever else they're equipped for. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely, I mean, it's happening in our government and our army as well of, like, drones doing things and, like, missiles flying from everywhere rather than, like, soldiers having to step foot into uncharted territory. And it's a concern of, well, what if they get hacked? What if this happens? Is it safer for our soldiers? Maybe, but is it safer for the world? We don't know. Mm-hmm. So I think it's topical. Good for them, Pacific Rim 2. Not that they address it that well. <laughs> Great social commentary, yeah, which I was that not idea expecting yeah. as well. But I like that they took that sort of, I guess, idea of the social commentary. It's like, oh, obviously the drone CEO girl is evil or whatever. But no, once Charlie sort of does his little heel turn, the uh, Charlie's boss, the little CEO, Li Meng, she suddenly is on our side. It's like, okay, let's, let's solve this issue or whatever. I've, I've made <laughs> a mistake, like and I'm willing <laughs> to... Uh, Try to repair any damage that I made. Yeah, I was all for that. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed, like, her heel turn in response to Charlie's, where she was like, okay, like... My I, bad, everyone. I guess I'm responsible, <laughs> and I need to help now. <laughs> Sorry about that. Whoopsie. So I think now we can shift into just this idea of guilty pleasures. I think all of us can agree that this was a guilty pleasure, because the first thing we said in our uh, opinions, was like a big sigh of, ah, <laughs> uh, I enjoyed it. And we all looked down at ourselves. So, like, why would we, why do you think we responded that way uh, to the, to, did you like it? <sighs> I did. Because <laughs> I know if I showed my parents and my other <laughs> not-as-weird friends, they'd be like, what? You like this? This is... See, I felt the opposite. I wouldn't consider it really a guilty pleasure for myself, only because I wouldn't be embarrassed to say I loved it. Yeah. Whereas there are definitely movies and shows that, under yeah. all circumstances, there's I would far, not, there's I would far not more cringier to material to admit liking than Pacific Rim for sure. Um, for me, what I would consider, I would consider it a guilty pleasure because I know. That quality-wise, it's not there. It's not a good, critically acclaimed film. But I still enjoyed it, and I still had fun, and I was willing to see it. I was willing to pay money for it. So I did get pleasure out of it, but I feel guilty for wasting my money when I'm a sophisticated, higher-up connoisseur. (laughs) That's uh, how I felt about the movie Piranhas 3D. (laughs) I saw that in theaters and walked out thinking, I'm not mad that I saw it, I'm mad that someone has my money for seeing it. (laughs) I'm glad you brought up the point of, like, a critically acclaimed movie, because, like, the movie Lady Bird, 
the overwhelming majority of what I heard about that movie was that it was overrated and it really wasn't that good. But no one would be ashamed or feel guilty for saying that they enjoyed it because it was nominated for an Oscar and there are people that are critically acclaiming it. So I think we have to remember that art is subjective. And so what is the basis for critically acclaiming a movie? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Again, for me, I've always talked to my director in college and he has this frustration that when people like something, they always need to give a reason for why they liked it and they need like justification for it. And he's always just like, if you liked it, you liked it. Like sometimes it's that's good enough. And I totally get that. But also, I'm a sophisticated. <laughs> uh, I like the part where it requires two people to fire the Jaegers. And, and then, it's a twist. And then the part where it doesn't. And then, oh. and then when you don't, it's really cool. I guess, going, I guess going back to Pacific Rim for a second, I never yeah. understood why they always talked about one pilot for a Jaeger mm-hmm. being so taxing, but every time they showed it, it never seemed taxing. Yeah. Yeah. It just seemed like anyone could do it. They bring <laughs> it up a lot in the second film as well. They could they could easily make smaller so that they're piloted by only one person, <laughs> and then they'd have more of them, so like it's always two versus one monster. Maybe that'd be a, a good solution. Then they don't have to drift. That would solve so many problems. Yeah. Dear you Charlie have. <laughs> Did you see how small Scrapper was compared to an actual Jaeger? It's like Stoppers that Scrapper was smaller like than the fifth. foot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not even a fifth. I don't know. I want, I want bigger, not better. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like my prom date. <laughs> Um, going back to uh, guilty pleasure movies, though, Dan brought up the critically acclaimed Academy Award-winning Suicide Squad. I guess that would be my guilty pleasure movie because yeah, I know because that movie sucked. Uh, I admit that there's problems with it, but <laughs> I had a blast watching it in the theater. And like um, our director said, if you liked it, you liked it, and I did. And honestly, I think people are not giving it enough credit. To be honest. Um, I definitely did not enjoy Suicide Squad, but not to the point where, well, except for you, where I would criticize people who did enjoy it. <laughs> um, but I enjoy it so much. <laughs> yeah. There are movies where I would criticize someone for enjoying it. And shows. Like, I get upset, which I shouldn't, I know, when people enjoy watching The Kardashians. And, like... If I knew that that person enjoyed it, I would definitely judge them for it. So in my mind, when the roles are reversed, that's what I would consider a guilty pleasure. If someone were to judge me for liking Pacific Rim, and I think that that would be the case, that's when it becomes a guilty pleasure. I get upset when I hear people watch the Kardashians like it, but then they also believe that's their real life. Like, they actually look like that when they wake up on a normal basis. (laughs) I want to believe giant robots exist. <laughs> well, that I was based on a true it. story. Yeah. Uh, Didn't you see the little thing at the uh, beginning of the movie? Based on a true story. Um, I actually walked into the theater for the first movie late, but all I missed was the beginning narration, which was like exposition, and I think the movie's better for it. <laughs> yeah, that exposition is clunky. That is something I love about certain movies is that they don't when they don't give you exposition they just throw you into the movie and have you accept that it is the world 
that you're watching. I agree, yeah. or but I've also seen that it. done poorly before, but go on. Yeah, and you can also, like, learn about the universe retroactively. Like, yeah. as yeah. you discover things, you're like, oh, that's part of this universe. Mm-hmm. Neat. Yeah. I hate when uh, you're watching a movie with someone, and they're doing it retroactively, so something's introduced that they haven't fully explained yet, and then the person leans in and is like, wait, what is that? It's when they... I don't know. I'm watching the same (laughs) movie as you. (laughs) It's when it's done in such a way that it expects you to know that it's done poorly. (laughs) The the last movie I saw in theaters, um, we had... There was someone sitting right next to us. Actually, it was a couple. The guy bought nachos and brought (laughs) a family-sized bag of Lay's potato chips and just started chomping away at potato chips throughout the whole movie. And... His girlfriend was asking questions about things she would literally have just seen. <laughs> so she'd say, "Oh, why did this character die?" And we're all in the same <laughs> in the same boat. We just watched it happen. None of us have any idea, or it was so obvious we don't know why she's asking. In the Santa Clarita diet, the two kids are hacking into this guy's computer to delete emails that would lead to proof that um, they're involved, that they're involved in a murder. And then two guys, or no, a guy and a girl who kind of look like thuggy break in and all of them are like standing around and they're like, what are you doing here? Oh, we came here to pay our respects. What about you? Um, That's a little weird that you're paying your respects in the apartment. Well, what are you doing here? Oh, we are too. (laughs) (laughs) And then they, and then they leave and the guy is like, who were those people? We were literally in the same room, and they told us the same exact thing. And then they cut to the uh, thug-looking people. Who were those two? We were literally in the same room together. We have the same amount of information. The only exception I will make is when my mom asks, because she's like always struggling to understand what's happening. So I'll be like, Mom, we're watching the same movie. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd, I'd give her a pass. Yeah, there. I mean, there's there's exceptions to every rule, but you know, uh, stop asking your friends to explain the movie to you in theaters. Um, so, guys, I've told everyone what my guilty pleasure movie is, and I'm feeling really judged. I think yeah. everyone should uh, give it. Well, you really brought it down. Yeah. <laughs> you really brought down the atmosphere. I don't know if I have a guilty pleasure movie because I don't watch a heck of a lot of movies, but I have guilty pleasure shows. One of them, for sure, is being Degrassi, the next generation. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, though, if you gave me ten guesses, I would not have guessed that <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> I forgot that show existed. Yeah. That's, uh... uh... Bouncing off of Degrassi, I'll say that I enjoyed Glee when I watched it. And I definitely felt guilty about that. Right? As you should. I'm <laughs> judging you so hard. <laughs> That's how I know it's a guilty pleasure. <laughs> when it comes to movies, though... And I've brought this up in almost every other episode. It would be the Fast and Furious franchise and the Mission Impossible franchise. I know that they're garbage, and I watch them anyway with oh, Glee. If we're considering <laughs> while Mission you're Impossible watching Glee, a Guilty Pleasure watching... franchise, then that's definitely my movie. My Guilty Pleasure movie. I love the Mission <laughs> Impossibles. <laughs> I remember in college, I think Mission Impossible 5 came out, or 4, and <laughs> Thumb, you and I were like, another Mission Impossible movie? Finally! That's what I've been waiting for. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Sean Penn? Or Sean Pegg? The guy from Shaun of the Dead? Just Sean um, Simon Pegg. 
Simon Pegg, thank you. Simon Pegg is the scientist in the new ones, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, for the Mission Impossible? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's great! And during the breakout, he plays, like, Billy Joel or some shit. I would say, for me, I don't have a specific title that comes to mind. It's more of a concept. I'm not sort of copping out. Unnecessary sequels. I love so much. Specifically, so- Disney sequels. <laughs> <laughs> I... I do really enjoy um, the Return of Jafar. Return of Jafar. Wait. The Aladdin ones are the best. The the Aladdin right? sequels. Right. I I agree. I mean yeah. Aladdin in general. If yeah. Once now that we're getting into Disney, when Disney sequels are just Disney Channel series, like I watched yeah. Lilo and Stitch the series. Oh, of course, it was yeah. Pokemon. I loved Lilo and Stitch. It was little Pokemon, but I had like a Hawaii. DVD game of that. Like it, it wasn't like a video game. It was. It had like three episodes, and then like mini games you played with your DVD controller. Oh, man, it was like yeah, I want to watch them capture all six hundred and twenty-five other. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about Lilo Stitch, did anybody play the Lilo and Stitch Disney Channel game Sandwich Stackers? Yes. <laughs> yes. Wait, what? <laughs> Our friend in college, once they took the game away, actually wrote a letter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> someone, to get the game back. Someone tweeted a picture of it, and they were like, someone needs to make this an iOS app right now. <laughs> um, oh, that would be perfect. Oh yeah. Um, movies like Clockstopper. Oh, I did love that um, one too. And also the Disney Channel original movie that does involve time travel. What's that one called? Minutemen. Minutemen. That's it. Yeah. I enjoyed them. I, I, I did. Uh-huh. And I know I'm not supposed to. Smart House was always my go-to. So should we feel bad about liking these movies? Because yeah. I mean, yes. these, these Disney. Movies, <laughs> um, I'll give them a little shout out. Uh, Mike from Story Screen Presents. Uh, on a recent podcast, and I'm sure he said this before, um, but he said, I don't really have guilty pleasure movies because I don't think you should feel bad for liking something. He's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what uh, that's what Stefferoni brought up, um, who was in our Quiet Place uh, podcast episode. She is against the phrase guilty pleasure because you shouldn't feel guilty about something that you enjoy. And I told her, well, what about pedophilia? And, uh... Well, that is a hard transition. <laughs> but go on. <laughs> I'm following. We stopped talking after Go that. on, Alex. <laughs> what about pedophilia? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess if you want to bring it there. But in terms of, like, what movies you like, I mean, like we said, if you like it, you like it. Like, you shouldn't necessarily feel bad about it. I think it. it's essentially... The, the the main difference I draw, that I don't know why I have to spell the difference between a movie and pedophilia, but obviously <laughs> a film is very deliberate and was made for a reason. <laughs> okay, so let me give you an example that's less extreme. So what if people enjoy movies like Saw and Hostel because they get off on like the gore? Like, is, should you feel guilty about that? When you say get off. Uh, that's why they enjoy it. It's not why they get erect. It's just why, okay. it's just why they enjoy it. They're like, ooh, blood. Nice. Is that something I feel guilty about? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. I appreciate you asking for me. but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think if you were to transition that to a video game, say like a first-person shooter, and you get a kill, and you're like, yes, I killed that other person. 
should you feel guilty about that? Because it's a video game. You didn't actually kill anybody. I guess you'd want to talk to a therapist and understand why you enjoyed it. Is it the success or is it the actual murder part? I think that can differentiate between the two. Yeah, and, and this can, guilty pleasures can expand beyond media. It's like, oh, I double dip and I get a rush from double dipping. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I think we've fallen off track a little bit. No, this is exactly on track. And I feel guilty about it. Um... So I definitely agree, though. I was playing devil's advocate. Oh, if, yeah. if you feel guilty about enjoying something, like in some form of media, it's because, like, society has forced you to feel a certain way, like, and that's not really fair. Like, mm -hmm. you should be comfortable having your hobbies and be and not being ashamed of them. Uh, one thing I think of and jump to is any form of anime, um, like enjoying Naruto and Yu Yu Hakusho and Dragon Ball Z, there's definitely a specific group of friends that I would talk to about, and then a specific group of friends that I would never bring up the fact that I watch anime. Yeah. And it's us. Nerd. <laughs> for me, just because like, my life is so entrenched in anime as well, I sort of, for me at least, it's like evolved beyond a guilty pleasure to the point that it's like, okay, I understand the settings of which I can discuss this at length to the extent that I want to, and which is why I don't bother... Like, A, trying to introduce it to people that I, I know it wouldn't have a lasting effect with. I'm just like, if if it looks like it would interest you and you seek it out on your own, that's what makes me the most happy. Not pushing it on someone It's like, oh, like my thing that no none of my friends like. That's actually brings up a good point. Another cate another way to categorize guilty pleasures for me would be if I don't recommend it to people. Yeah. If yeah. I enjoy it. But I'm not gonna tell people like to go watch that movie. It was probably a guilty pleasure. Exactly. When I fair. watched Three Billboards, I told everyone to watch that. That is how I consider, uh, or how I classify Pacific Rim. Is it's a movie that I would watch over and over for myself, but I wouldn't recommend it to someone because it's not the kind of movie I think everyone would enjoy. It's yeah. just something that really caters to me. You, uh, Alex, you brought up three billboards, and that, for me, was kind of a flip side. I felt guilty for not liking it as much as everybody else did. You should, because it was an amazing <laughs> oh <my> movie. <laughs> um, and that's, that's another, like, twist of, like, yeah. overhyping something, or if you hear that it's critically acclaimed, but you don't quote-unquote get it, like, you might mm. also feel like, like, oh... I didn't like it. Oh, you must not have gotten it. Yeah, you must have not really understood it because it was phenomenal. Yeah, and I think it's something where it's like, well, I enjoy it, and I'm right. So if you don't enjoy it, there's something wrong with you. I guess another, another aspect of that is there are movies that just are accepted as being terrible, like Suicide Squad. The majority of people just dislike that movie. Not the Academy. But I watched it, and I didn't dislike it. I didn't care for it as much, but it wasn't something I hated. You were like, that's a, like that was a movie I saw. Yeah, like, I <laughs> feel like I'm going against the grain in that aspect where everyone I talk to really hates that movie, and I just felt like it was a movie I saw. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to point out that the Academy liked their costumes, and not the plot, well, not the character the development. <laughs> Purely the killer croc, probably. Sure <laughs> as hell wasn't the Joker. <laughs> I'm sorry, did, uh...
Did I win an award? Did you win an award? No, I didn't. Did you win I did not. But when I go to see the Academy, like what you are, I have no, no, plenty didn't. of participation this trophies is... for soccer. So <laughs> I've won an award. This is a whole other topic for another podcast. But I absolutely hate the argument. It's like, oh, I didn't like that thing. Oh, if you didn't like, well, why don't you do better? That is the most unhelpful. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I would like to bring up how inconsistent Rotten Tomatoes is. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of movies that I actually enjoy, would actually recommend. They're not guilty pleasures. And then Rotten Tomatoes gives them like a 60 or a 57, something like that. And then gives other movies that I would actually compare it to, to like 81s and 90s and stuff. And I'm like, well, actually, I'd, I'd flip those. So my taste definitely doesn't match with Rotten Tomatoes. And if Rotten Tomatoes matches society's taste, then my taste doesn't match society's. Yeah. Uh, I would just say when I'm searching for like reviews and affirmation that that thing I like is generally accepted to be liked overall... Uh, it definitely is a nice ego, ego boost. Like, yes, it's, it's got that certified fresh, so I have that, like, backing and uh, justification, the thing I like. But what I would promote even more is I, I seek out the opinions of, like, uh, like, just individuals in general. So if that one reviewer I liked that um, aligns with a lot of my interests, if they're saying... Go watch this romantic comedy. I know, but hear me out. And like, clearly, he's not the kind of like reviewer that would seek out romantic comedies. That's probably a romantic comedy you want to watch. Yeah, uh, the big problem with Rotten Tomatoes is when you write the review, you have to put it in a category fresh or rotten. Um, this is something that happened with um, Batman vs Superman, which I will say I will make people feel guilty for liking that movie, um, <laughs> but. Uh, it had a very low Rotten Tomato score, but if you actually read the reviews, a lot of the rotten reviews are... Very split. Yeah, very split, where it's like, I, no, I like this part, and like this part was good, but overall like it was kind of weird. But like you have to put it in a category. Therefore, Therefore they just slightly leaned yeah. to the rotten side, even if they were just on the cusp of fresh. Yeah. So Rotten Tomatoes should update their scoring to like a five star situation where they can like one, two, three, four, five type of thing. Yeah. I don't know. YouTube got rid of that as well. You either like something or dislike it in these days. Your uh your options for expressing opinions are getting narrower and narrower. What is this world coming to where I can't watch a movie and go, eh, yeah. that was a yeah. movie. I mean Netflix yeah. did it as well. It's did you like it or dislike they used to have a star rating and star rating's gone. And I think that's the other big thing. I kind of joke about how much I like um, Suicide Squad, Academy Award winning Suicide Squad. But overall, I accept that it does have flaws and a lot of the criticism it gets is justified. But I had fun watching it. But I feel like when I tell people, yeah, I like Suicide Squad, they're like, oh, how could you like a movie like that? And it's all of a sudden, I'm the number one fan and like I think nothing's wrong with it. And that is my opinion that it is a good movie. Wait, I thought that was true, though. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely... I'm a Suicide Squad stan. I'm not a Suicide Squad fan. Huh. I've never heard that before. (laughs) You need to get on Twitter more. (laughs) I do. I have four followers. Shout out to my four followers on Twitter. Thanks, Alex. (laughs) I'm one of them. (laughs) Three of them are here. (laughs) No. Only one of you are here. And then one of them... 
One of them is his other account. <laughs> <laughs> Two, I don't even follow Two Two Bald Men. Doesn't even follow me. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to inflate your ego too much. <laughs> but anyway, going back to the whole being a stan, not a fan. That also reminds me of just like Democrats and Republicans, where if you define yourself as a Democrat, then all of a sudden you are for participation trophies and you're for taking guns away from people and you're for um, death of fetuses and stuff like that. And you can be a Democrat and sort of pick which policies align to you and then critique the policies that don't align and sort of ask that party to shift their um, opinion of it. And the same thing can be said for the Republicans. And so, again, it's frustrating whether it's, it's this whole idea of like versus dislike rather than a five-star rating of, well, I have an opinion, but it's not a strong one. Yeah. So you're either for or against abortion. It's, it's that false dichotomy it creates. So what we're saying is if, if you like something, you like it. You don't have to feel guilty about it. If you like Fast and Furious, go see it. If you like Suicide Squad, um, then vote for it for Best Costume Design and give it an, an Academy Award. Although it does make for a great Breaking the Ice question. Asking people what their favorite movie and favorite guilty pleasure movie is stirs up some, some conversation. Especially if it's the same answer. Oh, that's <laughs> why it's difficult for me to make friends. <laughs> That'll do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Please tune in next week when we talk about Deadpool 2 and the MPAA rating system. If you liked us, find us on Twitter and Instagram at 2 underscore bald men, and find us on Facebook. And don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you all so much again, and if you were driving, we hope you got to your destination safely and on time. <laughs>